0: On Fridays after soccer practice, I would always puzzle over the great distress. My friend Jack Rowe, a fellow Pilots kid living on the lake down the street from us, born in Detroit, Michigan, moved down to South Hall County. The distress that Jack would feel when we would go to Wendy's, And he would always look at us and say, I can't go to Wendy's. i got to have fish. And a couple of times he forgot and ate meat on Friday. He got really upset. He was really worried that now he was going to go to hell because he had a hamburger instead of a filet of fish. And the other thing that I always thought was cool about Jack was a certain time of the year, sort of around... Easter, a little bit before, and I'd always notice, he would come to school late on a certain Wednesday, and he would have this stuff on his head. And I would say to him, Jack, what's on your head? And he'd kind of get embarrassed and say, oh, it's church. I had to go to church this morning. When I pressed him, he told me it was for Ash Wednesday, this thing that the Roman Catholics did that we in the Southern Baptist Church definitely did not do. And that it was for this thing called Lent. And then Jack would say every year, yeah, and I got to give up candy for a month too. But you know, I found it fascinating that he got to come into school late, that he always ate fully of fish, and that he got to give something up for a month. And his church uh, supported him and helped him with it. We didn't do that kind of thing. We never gave stuff up. You know, it was, it was too conspicuous. You know, we Southern Baptists, we weren't into conspicuous faith. Well, I mean, we did have our living Christmas tree, but, you know, faith was, after all, between you and God. And it was uh, all these external things that the Catholics down the road at St. Michael's did were all just, uh, as some people would refer to, works. That 's faith by works, salvation by works it was showy you know I, I think that that my Southern Baptist brothers and sisters and forebears and my friend Jack were both right though I've always found it really funny that on Lent Jesus rails against conspicuous practice of faith which is exactly what we are doing today and i get it you know folks did a lot of social climbing and separated themselves into classes by where they were situated in the temple and where they were situated in the the gathering places and they indicated their rank and their social status and their wealth by how they practiced their faith not that that happens anymore I mean, this kind of thing still happens, doesn't it? But you know, the church is a gathering place full of people. And that's what people do. When people assemble, the word church actually comes from a word meaning assembly, ecclesia. They create little societies and cultures, and little societies and cultures have their quirks. That's just kind of how it is. And we all know that Every few years where we're subjected to the subjection of the, we're subjected to the spectacle of an election year or any kind of political conflict, we see in plain view people displaying and making sure everyone knows about their piety or their lack thereof in the case of some public figures and entertainers. So today I say good. You know, good that we get a reminder that religion is to be suspect when we practice it in a showy way. But good that we get a reminder with some ashes that is meant to make us in no way feel superior or religious or pious. That these ashes that are put on with the reminder, you are dust. Dust is where you are going, they tell us. But again, we do kind of thumb our nose at the gospel. We we get our ashes and we go to work and we still have them on our forehead and we have those conversations. Oh, you went to Ash Wednesday. Where do you go to church? We go out in public After this service, when I go down to the Waffle House on Fifth Street and have breakfast, I'll probably see other folks with ash marks on their heads announcing to the world, I went to church this morning, I repented, and I'm being all Lenten now. We take our foreheads and our bodies out on the street corners. We're definitely not in a locked room, and we start our Lent loudly and publicly. In the best sense, though, with these ashes, we also announce to the world, though, that we are not holier than now. In fact, we are dust, my friends. I am admitting to you, I am dust, and to dust, I am returning. And I think that one line is what I love the most about Lent. That one thought that can stay with me during Lent is it, it? it is a very loud, conspicuous nod to my mortality. You know, of all the things that I get to do as a person who is a public prayer, a liturgist, of all the things I get to do, I think the best thing that we do here is funerals. Funerals are truly the holiest and thinnest of places where God finds her way through. And, and I've, it's inevitable that from the start to the finish of a funeral, somehow God, the Holy Spirit, descends and energy in the room changes. And this long acknowledgement of our mortality, this long acknowledgement of our resurrection has one of my favorite prayers. Well, it's an anthem, really. I have to lead off, leave off the last two words for the season. It says, You are only our mortal, and cre- the creator and maker of mankind, and we are mortal, formed of the earth, and to earth shall we return. For so did you ordain when you created me, saying, You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Sounds familiar, I'll bet. On this day, we are reminded with these ashes that we are dust. And we are saying publicly, definitively, conspicuously to the world when we walk out that door that we are mortal, that you are mortal. But most importantly, we are announcing to the world that in some sense, in a service really early in the morning, we have publicly acknowledged that we are not God. And I think of all the things that I loved about Lent, and I probably didn't know this when I was nine years old. I think what I loved about Jack Rowe's practice of Lent, what fascinated me about it was that he was saying to us, I'm not God. And, you know, there's another word we we like to use during Lent. I don't know if we say it a whole lot in Episcopal churches, but the word sin is a word we think about a lot during Lent. We ought to say it more. And you know, it was a revelation to me years ago. You take the word sin, meaning separation. Sin is anything that separates us from God. Sin can even sometimes be church, I think. And I think if I were to sum up the biggest source of my sinfulness is that that I many days have a pathological need To be God, to control my destiny, to even control my salvation and to control the mercy that is shown to me when really the only source of mercy that we have available to us is God. So what I love about Lent is that I have a church that reminds me, reminds me that I'm not God and boy. Is it a relief? And I think even when I was nine years old, I sensed that relief on my friend, Jack Rowe. We all carry this burden, this burden of believing that we control our destiny, that we control the future, that we control everything, when really, ultimately, we have no control whatsoever. It reminds us that the more we can surrender our lives, the more we can remember that we are desperately in need of God's mercy each and every moment, the more that we can remember that we must be reliant upon God and one another. And the fewer things that we will have between us, ourselves, and God, and perhaps the closer we can move to God not only during Lent, but during our lives. So embrace mortality today. Embrace limitation. Embrace your lack of control. Wear the ashes of Lent as a reminder that we are not God, but that we are dust. Dust that God does indeed make beautiful things out of, but Dust just the same.